Hello and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. My name is Margaret Taylor and in this series we discuss resilience. Whether in a business or individual context, resilience can mean different things to different people. We'll examine what it means in general terms in the context of COVID-19 and for the future. We'll discuss hot topics, trends and lessons learned with legal experts and special guests. In this episode, we're joined by Callie Russell, CEO and founder of Edinburgh-based fashion app Malsey, who will talk about how his business helped to ensure the resilience of garment workers in Bangladesh by setting up the app Lost Stock. Also joining us is Brodie's partner, Martin Sloan, who specialises in IP, tech and data to discuss what changing business models and new initiatives like Lost Stock mean from a legal perspective. Callie, could you start by telling us a little bit about Malsey, what, what it is and what it does? So Malsey is a consumer data, a consumer, consumer app which basically generates data for fashion retailers. Uh, as a way to describe it is basically Tinder, but for clothes, where consumers <laughs> swipe through products saying which ones they like, which ones they yeah, don't I like. I think you might need to explain Tinder. I'm not sure oh, if you're going to know that. Uh, uh, I just assume these days. So Tinder is like a dating app where you basically swipe on people and you basically, if you like them, you swipe right. And if they mm-hmm. like you, you can speak. If you don't like them, you swipe left. Uh, our clothes don't get to swipe you back, but the whole idea being <laughs> is that you basically swipe through clothes and anything that you say that you like gets saved away for later. And anything you say that you don't like helps us understand what trends look like and the information around that. We partner with big retailers to basically utilize that data to hopefully make better decisions about which products to make and which mm-hmm. products not to make uh, the whole idea behind that is that by tackling that part of the industry we can help these companies become more efficient uh, by removing the products that they don't need which financially for them is obviously a very big positive but at the same time is that we can tackle overproduction which is the biggest damaging area of retail around about 30 percent of products which are made are never worn and that to us is something that is just a huge thing and what, what happens to them so a lot of those products potentially end up in landfill. You know, the stats right. around the amount of clothes that we send to landfill every year is just absolutely crazy. Right. Uh, for a business like H&M, which is obviously absolutely massive, H&M actually has their own power plant in Sweden, which is entirely fueled by burning clothes that have been produced that have never then wow. been sold. So breaking them down, kind of going yeah. through from that same sort of point of view. So, And they do it, obviously, in, in the most environmentally conscious way that you possibly can. But you can see the, the damage that is created by overproduction. And that is something that you know we try to tackle through the data and the process that we use from Malsey. Mm. So how how old is the business? I mean, obviously the pandemic has had a, a huge impact on all of this. How like how how much data do you have going back pre-pandemic so that you can yeah. look at the impact of the pandemic? So so we've 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 been going for about seven years and we've mm-hmm. now generated over six hundred and thirty-five million customer opinions on over four million products. So it is a huge amount of of data kind of through from that. What I would say is that, you know. Obviously, the pandemic has touched many sectors and, and has impacted many, many lives. And, you know, it's obviously been such a truly horrible thing. But retail is a sector that has been massively impacted by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the thing around the retail sector is that actually the supply chain for the retail sector has reaches all around the world. So actually, mm-hmm. the fact that all of our stores are closed here creates a huge problem in other parts of the world, which, you know, might be badly impacted by COVID already, might not have been yeah. impacted by COVID. But if our stores are all closed, if we produce all of our clothes in other countries, that all of a sudden means that the whole sort of supply chain and the model for retail totally breaks down. 
So tell us about lost stock then. That that was your solution to, to part of this problem, wasn't it? Last kind of March, April time, you know, we found like what we were doing and our focus and our, and our partnerships very much interrupted by the pandemic because yeah. all these brands and retailers closed their doors. If you're not buying any stock, you're not buying any data to help you okay. understand stock. So we started to look at the sector and look what was happening in a really different way. What we saw was that because the sector had kind of broken in this manner, this had created this kind of humanitarian crisis in countries like Bangladesh, countries like India, which are very heavy producing countries. And no one was really looking at it as much as they should be because we were all focused on the issues that we had closer to home. Mm. So what we did and, and kind of it all, it all kind of came from this BBC News article, which uh, had this line in it, which was the owner of a garment factory in Bangladesh, which said, if coronavirus doesn't kill my workers, starvation will. And we Gosh. thought, let's go and do something around that. Because what happened is that big brands and retailers had cancelled their orders and refused to make any payment against them. And we're talking about billions of dollars worth of clothes, which, and these clothes have been produced. The Uh the money's already gone into them from the factories to kind of get them to that stage. And then they refused to pay for them. They refused to take them. They they utilise force majeure on the contracts. And what then happens is that that breaks that part of the system in a Uh place where there's no real support net to kind of, look after garment workers and, and kind of support them through that there's no kind of government-backed furlough scheme per se okay, okay. so it's then what do you do so we came up with this kind of slightly crazy slightly novel idea which was why don't we try to sell the clothes that had been created mm. despite the fact that they were sitting in warehouses in bangladesh and in india let's sell them to consumers we couldn't basically take pictures of them uh, for a couple of different reasons. Partly IP rights around the images of the products and the designs of the products. Yeah. And secondly, uh, you know, there's not a lot of high quality photography studio space in these sorts of locations yeah. to allow us to do that. So what we decided to do is that we would sell the clothes as like a mystery packet of clothes. So the whole idea being is that were, you were they a buy- mystery to you as well? Uh, well, we, we'd worked with some partners already, but yeah, we were, you know, we had to find these clothes, we had to navigate through it and kind of go through them all. The whole idea being that you as a consumer would tell us your age, your gender, your location, what size you were, what types of colors you liked. Mm. And we, we would try to match you up against this product that had been cancelled by different brands and retailers. And, you know, these are some of the most recognizable names on the high street that had gone through this. So the idea being is that you'd buy one of these packets, it cost about £40 for one of these orders, you'd get three pieces in it, but every order would support a garment worker and her family for a week in Bangladesh through an organisation called the Sajida Foundation. Okay. It's interesting you said support her and her family. Is it all female workers? It's, it's not all female workers, but it's a majority female yeah. industry that that kind of that kind of goes through from this. So the idea for us doing this and kind of putting this together was that we can utilize these clothes, which might potentially end up in landfill that are completed by brands and retailers that have not mm-hmm. been paid for, to put money like directly at the start of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So we put this together over the space of kind of two, three weeks. And we launched it out thinking that if we could sell like 10,000 of these, then that would be like an amazing achievement. And we would be really, really happy through from that. In the end, I think we hit 10,000 on day number five, which was a little bit crazy. And uh, in the space of seven months of trading lost off and offering lost off, we ended up selling uh, 125,000 of these packets. So how, how, how much money did that raise then? So we supported in Bangladesh 113,000 people for mm-hmm. a month each in the end, which is 
quite a lot of people from cancelled clothes that kind of come through from it and significantly bigger than anything that we could have imagined that we were putting together at the start. I mean, it's a lot of people, particularly when you think about clothes being burnt, isn't it? Exactly. And, you know, it's it's an insane number when you think about that this came from nowhere was just yeah. such a like such a small thing. We worked with over 50 factories as well. Mm-hmm. So it's also it's not just that, you know, you made the direct impact to the worker, but you also kept the factory potentially in business so mm-hmm. that they can then actually keep producing in the future and kind of go through that same sort of stage. Yeah. When I think of that 113,000 number, you know, this is, this is all done by a team of kind of like 20 people in, spread across Scotland during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the thing that I always kind of joke about is that I, so I'm, I'm from the town of Dunoon and Dunoon's like 10,000 people. So it's like, it's like 12 times the size of the whole yeah. town for, yeah, yeah. For, a, for a month. Is, is just kind of crazy and everything. But the biggest thing from us was how much people wanted to be involved and people mm-hmm. wanted to help. You know, we sold products in, in 10 different countries by the end, uh, which is just just massive. And the support that we got from consumers was, was just unbelievable, much bigger than we could ever have imagined or ever, ever thought. Mm. Now, Martin, Callie mentioned IP issues there. What, what are the legal challenges with coming up with something like this, uh, not, not least coming up with something like this in such a short space of time? So, yeah, so it, it was a slightly un, uh, unusual Friday afternoon client call. I mean, we're quite used to getting calls late in a Friday afternoon from a client with a, an interesting or difficult question. This was, <laughs> yeah. I, say, I think, one of the, <laughs> the most unusual ones I've had. Um, and I remember very well, I mean, it, it, uh, it was it just right back at the, the beginning of the pandemic. Um, mm. But I, a great challenge to to be involved in and to support um Callie and the team on that and you're right there's so one of the issues around this is is around ip mm-hmm. and as as Callie said you know the the goods here were being manufactured for large brands and um, they clearly cancelled that but you couldn't then go out and sell you know something with someone else's brand on it yeah and um, that raised all sorts of um ip trademark infringement issues so you know it needed to ensure that they were they were being de-branded before they actually mm-hmm. went on the market Otherwise, there's a risk that you know someone might uh, might sue for for misuse of that brand. But the, I mean, there's a, the, the legal challenges here. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of things because effectively, what what uh, the team were trying to do is to replicate the international supply chains that someone like H and M or whatever yeah. has, has in place and has developed over many years. And I guess I mean that's a completely different model to what Malsey is, isn't it? So uh, absolutely, yeah. So <laughs> how how did you deal with that? Um, so it, it was a case, I suppose, of you know trying to come up with you know template contracts they could use. Obviously, we had um, some industry standards we could borrow from in this in terms of buying the stock, um, ensuring that we dealt with things like the debranding point because there were these unusual points we needed to be dealt with in them, um, developing those templates and getting getting them out there and ensuring that they could be signed as quickly as possible because until they were signed, you know, that the products wouldn't be supplied. So there was a lot to do with that, but there were other challenges as well. So you know that. Mosley uh, doesn't um, you know, usually handle large amounts of money from selling goods. It's doing something quite different. So you know, if that cash is coming in, there's issues around you know, um, tax and things like that, customs mm-hmm. and duties you know, to think about. So all all of that um, with the contracts, fate forwarding, all that kind of stuff. And remember, this was against the backdrop of Brexit as well. Yes. You know where all the yeah. rules and this sort of stuff was changing. So you know, is that an issue as to where where the goods land within? within the EU, et cetera, et cetera. And then the, the other, I suppose, the other challenge on, on the legal side in terms of contracts was with the Sajida uh, Foundation in terms of the money. So mm-hmm. yeah, a huge part of this project rested upon trust and transparency around ensuring that money was properly spent. 
Um, and so there needed to be a contract in place to actually deal with that to ensure it was being spent for the purposes that had been, been agreed, you know. And again, usually these things take time. You know, people do lots of diligence or whatever. And, and yeah. you know, Kelly and team did a, a huge amount of work to actually find the right partner for this. And how how was that handled then? Like, did you have to work with lawyers in Bangladesh or like how how did you ensure that the money was being spent in the way it was intended to be? So we found the Sujira Foundation through another partner. So we, you know, it's a very large UK-based retailer who we've done some work with before, you know, have used them as part of their CSR for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like I told one of their senior directors what we were doing and he was like, I, you know, you can piggyback on the back of our CSR team's work, which allowed us to get comfortable with them as an organization that allows us to say, right, this is what, this is, this is, this is who you should work with. They're going to be really great. They can have the impact on the grounds. We then set up a bit of a framework with them in regards to the impact that we were looking to try to achieve but we gave it as like a focus area we're big believers though that in reality we were the we were the fundraiser we were the facilitator of the consumer to them and mm-hmm. actually they are on the ground this is the work that they do they should be in charge of actually saying this is the impact that we want to create this is the work that we want to kind of go through from that but we set up in place like a reporting schedule in regards to that one of the reasons why we picked Sajida Foundation uh, and something that they're very proud of is that they have won awards for their auditing work in like the NGO right. sort of world yeah. so it's like right we can get comfortable through that and then what we've done at various different points is that we've used stuff like mobile money transfers these sorts of different points mm-hmm. so that we can actually see the end person who has received the support that has received the aid that we have generated i'm not gonna lie that's quite an emotional thing when you get lists of thousands of people who have lost their jobs because of mm-hmm. this and you know are mm-hmm. facing hardship and you're able to show that you know we have gone and helped that specific person and this is the amount of money that's kind of gone through from that that's pretty that's pretty impactful but yes yeah, so you did, did a great job all kind of setting that up and, and kind of running that through process and they obviously had a lot of support in place already in bangladesh in regards to the work that they were doing and we were just supplementing it and, and focusing on one particular you know customer like you know people group in the sense of garment workers mm-hmm. now martin you mentioned that it was quite an unusual call that you you took from cali when he came up with this idea but did any other clients come up with any similar or or like-minded ty- type of um responses to the pandemic I'd say nothing else quite in this scale, but I think mm-hmm. the one thing that is worth uh, maybe giving a, a shout out for is uh, within the wider Scottish tech sector, um, there was a, a really um, yeah, good response to the pandemic. Um, you know, obviously, there was a big shift to digital, mm-hmm. You know, whether that is kids um, doing homeschooling or whether that's engaging with public services um, online or, or just generally running your life online because we were all stuck at home. You know, yeah. Everything suddenly went, went online. And back in, I think it was about March last year, right back at the beginning of the pandemic, the Scottish Government and Scotland Is, which is the Scottish IT trade body, mm-hmm. SCVO and others, launched something called No One Left Behind, okay, which is an initiative to try and help find and equip the people in the country who who didn't have access to digital services and help them during the pandemic. So um, you know, that, that was a great example of the public sector and, and the private sector and, and the third sector all coming together to actually look at how, how we deal with people, ensure that everyone has access to, you know, the internet. So that might be providing them with devices, that might be providing them with um, internet connectivity, providing, getting it out to people, but also providing them with training. Because there's no point, you know, giving someone who's never used the internet before an iPad or or a Chromebook or whatever, and then mm-hmm, saying, right, mm-hmm. get on with it. So yeah. there's training as part of that as well. So, 
um, you know, th- there was a great response, I think, from the, the the tech sector in terms of you know providing devices uh, that were available, providing training, um, access to connectivity, or, or whatever um, to help help do that. And I think that probably made a, a big difference in the early days. Mm-hmm. And that also led to something called the Scottish Tech Army as well, which is a, a not-for-profit um, volunteer sort of COVID-19 response team, which you know, set out to build on that in terms of bringing together volunteers to help those who, who would otherwise be left behind by um, uh, by during the pandemic in terms of the, that digital divide. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 don't, I haven't seen anything else quite like Lost Stock, but certainly, um, you know, the, the, the wider sector, I think, looked at what it could do to respond to the pandemic and, and see how they could help, which was you know, a really heartening thing to see. Mm-hmm. Now, Callie, Lost Talk, it's obviously quite a departure from, from what you were used to doing. I mean, were there any particular challenges other than the ones we've discussed? And is there anything that, that you've learned that might inform how the, the business evolves going forward? <laughs> yeah. So I think that it is a really, it's a really interesting question that. So, you know, we we kind of put something together really quickly in the space of a couple of weeks because we saw in our sector something truly horrible happening and we wanted to make an impact. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, looking back on it, you know, I don't think any of us imagined that how big that would actually become mm-hmm. and the coverage. You know, it, you know, we, we appeared in loads of, like, it just started appearing around the places like it was in Vogue Brazil, like, you know, Croatia, right. Croatia. Like it was in, it was just, all of a sudden just was everywhere. Have you been you know in I mean? Vogue Brazil? I've not been in Vogue Brazil, to be honest with oh. you. I don't think, I, I don't think I'm cool enough <laughs> for Vogue Brazil. But we, 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 were, we, were, we were in Vogue Brazil. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I think from our side of things is like, you know, we kind of came into it with a plan to deliver something that was relatively small that would make an impact in a short space of time. And, you know, it, it ended up being, you know, over 12 times the size that we set out to be. Uh, mm-hmm. And that within itself presents lots of different challenges. From our perspective, you know, the biggest challenge is it turns out building a global supply chain in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> is actually quite difficult. Yeah. Because nothing is nothing works as as it should be. You know, by the end of the first week we got on some great advisors to help us, you know, with experience in operations, like you know, working for some of the biggest retailers in the world to help us kind of sort out these pieces. We had great partners in the likes of Royal Mail Group, you know, and the kind of the support that they gave us through their international division for how all that kind of came together. But you know, it was definitely not without its challenges because everything was challenging in that period of time. Like it was very difficult to move everything through. You know, mm-hmm. like global freight had such a such a backlog and the issues that kind of came with it. But you know, we stuck at it and we just kept on trying and we kept on trying to find the best ways and we tried our very best to communicate that to customers. We definitely didn't get everything right. You know, I'm, I'm very happy to say that. But in mm-hmm. anything the sale and scale and size of this, then that was never going to be the case. That that kind of all that kind of came through from it. I think one of the kind of things that we kind of learned from it was that you know people fundamentally do want to to do something good in the world and i think there needs yeah. to be more of an emphasis on that and that's one of the, my kind of my personal things kind of in a post-pandemic world i'm not going to say the word the new normal because i think it's just far too <laughs> cheesy but in a post-pandemic world yeah. is how are we like going to keep that connection and that keep mm-hmm. that desire to make a positive impact do you know what i mean like that are uh, on everything that goes around us and, and i think that's i think that's something that we could all all think more about as we move forward and do you, do you think that will change what Molsey is and what Molsey does? 
So, so we've actually, so we we stopped Lost Stock in in January time as mm-hmm. a kind of a natural conclusion point. In that, uh, we put together a really great report, which you can get on our website that outlines all the impact that we generated, you know, and, and kind of the work, and it showcases all the financials behind the plan. You know, we wanted to be as transparent as we possibly can be about everything that went into this, uh, and all the things that were great, and all the things that were, you know, not as great that we needed to improve and we need to fix through. For us, you know, we looked at the retail sector, and the retail sector is still in a really horrible place. That, you know, like obviously mm-hmm. stores are start, mm-hmm. now starting to reopen, but the high street as we know it will be totally different. And you know what? Like we're gonna we've lost some of the iconic sort of British names of the high street over the past twelve months, and there will probably be more to follow behind that uh, for where that bit sits. So we actually decided that we wanted to do something very different uh, in this new. I'm not again not new normal, but in this post pandemic <laughs> world, and we decided that we wanted to combine our work from Wolsey and the work from Lost Ark to try to create something very different. Mm-hmm. So we've been working working on since the start of the year a new offering which we call uh, unfolded and okay. unfolded to us is like a new form of retail and the whole idea being is that we remove the waste so that 30 percent i talked about at the start is that we focus on that and we remove that from the retail model and if we remove that from the retail model we can basically create a positive impact out the other side. What that means in practice is that we have used data and we've used community, so real customers, to design a collection of clothes. We have then worked with factories that we, we met through Lost Stock and that we helped through Lost Stock with this new factory to consumer model where goods are only produced once orders are placed. Uh, to basically build this new offering, which we launched at the end of February, uh, this first collection. So you basically, you got to pick three items from kind of 15. They're then made after that point, and it takes about four to six weeks for that to be delivered Mm -hmm. to you. Uh, the first collection we put out, yeah, we sold nearly 2,000 of those in a couple of weeks. Uh, we have raised enough from that. So this time our partner, because we want to make long, long, long-term long change, is we've partnered with an organization that basically provides education around garment-making areas. Mm-hmm. So we've raised enough with the first collection that we'll support 500 kids in education for the next 12 months. Uh, through that, uh, which is obviously kind of really, really powerful for her that sets. Short which term, country is that in? So it's in, it's in India. It's in India. India. Okay. So we're kind of working around Delhi at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go and register for the next collection. Collection two comes out. Uh, yes, I'm going to plug this. I don't know when this podcast <laughs> is coming out. So it may already have been out for who that is. So, uh, so I would say that collection two comes out at the beginning of May. Uh, if you if we're not selling it if you, if this is after that point you can still no, register no plug away you plenty time yeah or you can you can <laughs> you can still register it'll, it'll be amazing and the whole idea being is that it's designed to be like it's designed to be better for the planet better for the consumer and better for society because we're not producing that overstock so we don't have all that waste mm-hmm. we're using where we possibly can like you know sustainable materials in terms of better for the consumer because we don't have that waste it's super okay. affordable so like collection one was like sixty five pounds for a dress a top and a t-shirt uh, collection two will be changed up a little bit from that but you know it's cheaper than the high street probably for her that kind of comes through and then the third bit is it's better for society because we're you know we're doing that social impact around our factories uh, but we're also paying garment workers better as well like mm. you know what we think we've discovered here is a way of doing retail a way of doing shopping that is just fundamentally better because it just removes the waste like there is a trade-off you have to wait for the clothes but 
the feedback on that so far from people has been that they've loved the waiting bit because actually what we've done is that we have built behind the scenes basically like this update system so you actually learn about all the stages that your clothes go through okay. for them to be made from like cutting to stitching like uh-huh. how it works how it all kind of comes together so it's this really interesting behind the scenes sort of part of it and we've got this amazing uh, once you purchase you get invited into like this private facebook group which has been super powerful because it's like everyone working together to like try to make a positive impact and change that kind of go through from it uh and it's like a yeah it's a really it's a really nice thing to do so yeah we are we're 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 playing about in this space just now because we think that we think that by doing this and approaching it in this sort of manner is that you know we can we can we can get people to shop differently and have this really amazing positive impact in the world which i think is pretty cool to do at this point so i mean that's quite a pivot from aussie isn't it Do, do you think that's a big growth area for you yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, considering considering the first collection, yeah, definitely. Like it's it's a huge opportunity to do something really positive. Like we're mm-hmm. using the data that we would sell to other people to basically mm-hmm. kind of design for ourselves everything that kind of goes through from that. And for us, that's just that's really really exciting for where that sets. I think there's I think there's a huge I think there is a, a huge potential to build a category defining company uh, mm-hmm. in this sort of space and actually what we are our, our kind of long-term strategy uh, not to not to bore anyone too much with it but our long-term strategy is that what we're trying to build here is not a brand not a retailer is that we're trying to build a movement that actually mm-hmm. says this is a better way of doing something but actually behind the scenes from that is that we're building all the technical architecture to do retail and do clothing in a totally different way and a way that is designed to not have this waste sitting in the model and by taking out that waste we just free ourselves up to make such a positive impact and that to me is it's really really exciting mm-hmm. so martin having been involved in all this from that initial phone call what what kind of lessons have you learned that can be applied in a wider business context with other clients well i think there's a few things here i mean the, the first is and it's it's kind of obvious and i think uh, we, we've touched this already but just you know the shift to online is kind of here to stay mm-hmm. you know we've seen this particularly in the in the retail sector that a lot of uh, retailers have disappeared from the high street um are now just trading online or you know sales are shifted but that i think uh, following on from what's what we've seen with with lost stock is this there's a bit of a move to direct consumer sales in the other sector we've seen this call on is food and drink so mm-hmm. you see, you know, restaurants doing their eat at home thing, you know, yes, they, they yeah. pivoted on that, which has been, I, I don't want to say hugely successful because it, it's more been actually providing them with revenue to make up for what they're not getting in. Um, yeah. But it's it's opened up, I think, a bit of a new channel. Um, but also producers who previously, you know, would sell either to the trade or through wholesale, also doing direct to retail sales. Get even down to like farmers market stalls who will now deliver to your house rather than you going on yeah. Saturday morning, and for them, you know, there's, yeah, that that's moving as as with mostly going to uh, lost stock. That uh, with their new issues around consumer protection and dealing with all that kind of stuff when you start selling selling direct. But I think you know, the, the real thing for me from all of this is actually what what people can achieve if they put their mind to it. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you think innovation and moving quickly is quite difficult in in large businesses. Mm. Yeah, they they don't do it very well. Um, supply chains take a long time to set up. Approval processes slow things down, particularly if you are a large, a large corporate. Um, it's just very difficult to do stuff quickly. But then you look at something like the ventilator challenge that the government launched last year, and they had people like Rolls Royce and McLaren and Airbus. You know, people who are aerospace engineers getting their team together and building a ventilator. You know, to supply the NHS now. 
uh, I, I know the actual numbers that came through that were, were pretty limited in the end, but yeah. actually they, they were still able to provide a team and they, they did something really quickly overnight that was beyond imaginable a couple of years ago, but mm-hmm. they just rose to that challenge. And I think for a lot, that's kind of opened, opened people's eyes to what they can do. Mm-hmm. Actually, you don't need to go through store processes. You don't need to take a long time. Yeah, it's, but it's that, that's interesting but, but because part of the the long process is the legal process as well isn't it so have you learned anything as a legal advisor about how how you could perhaps do things differently to, to help speed these processes up well i think we, we've obviously spoken before around electronic signatures and mm-hmm, your legal yeah. technology and uh, yeah it yeah it, it's, it's been discussed on on a previous podcast um Electronic signing has been around for a number of years and, and clients use it all the time. But mm-hmm. law firms were traditionally very slow about using it in transactions because we like to have our grand completion meetings where everyone came in and you know, <laughs> yeah. used their best, their best pen or whatever. <laughs> um, and actually, that's totally changed in a year. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. pretty much every practice area now is, is much more um, you know, engaged with actually doing that. And that's going to be a permanent change in terms mm-hmm. of speeding up the signing process. And I think just generally, you know, the speed at which things move is getting quicker. You know, people are, are doing things quicker. We're looking at where we can use technology to speed speed stuff up or do things more efficiently. You know, there, there is new technology coming along all the time. So, you know, the, the legal sector, as much as anything, is really learning from this as well, um, you know, through, through this sort of stuff and looking at what we can do. And I think for me, you know, I, I sit on our internal innovation program. And one of the things that's been really heartening is actually seeing you know, historically, we thought that lawyers would be kind of resistant to change. Yeah, it takes a long time. But actually, when when you throw a pandemic at them and they have to get on with their day job, actually, the enthusiasm with which people have adopted to, you know, working remotely, to engaging with others, um, remotely doing doing meetings, you know, through Teams or Zoom or whatever, um, mm. signing electronically, actually, it, it's amazing how quickly people have changed and embraced that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a cliche to say it, but it, the pandemic has driven probably five or ten years worth of change in, in yes. less than a year yeah. but it, it, it it is true you know it's it's really pushed things forward because folk have had to actually do it but they've actually done it with enthusiasm which has been mm-hmm. you know really really good to see and good for clients as well yeah and does that extend to all clients are they have you found they've all been kind of more willing and able to be nimble and come up with different solutions over the past year i, I think so i think yeah pretty much most, most sectors that that's been the case and in most practice areas you know um it uh, some have been quicker than others but um i think yeah we can certainly say it for for everyone mm-hmm. and i know Callie doesn't like the the new normal but do you think this is the new normal <laughs> that it will continue when things go back to whatever kind of normal yeah uh, no I, I think post-pandemic life is is here to stay um <laughs> you know there, there are things a uh, part of this is driven by regulation you know and and uh I don't know the rules that the the land register will require when you want to sell your house mm-hmm. in terms of what has to happen. Um, it's been great to see that you know Register Scotland, for example, are looking now at permanent changes to what they're doing as opposed to the the temporary changes. Mm-hmm. And if that can speed up the you know the process of buying and selling your house, that makes a difference to everyone. You know, if you can do that online, you know, if you can make your will electronically, how many more people will make a will because they can just do yeah. it on their phone? Um, you know, rather than having to sign a bit of paper um, and go into a lawyer's office. I, I think that's a really interesting point that we're kind of touching on there. And it, one that I'd kind of stress across all industries and all sectors is that, you know, the, the kind of the, the new world that we're moving into, the new normal, as you might say <laughs> at that point in time, uh, is that, you know, this is the time to look at everything that we are doing and kind of go, why are we doing it this way? Mm-hmm. Like, is there a better way for us? Are we just doing it this way because this is how we've always done it and there's some sort of, there's some sort of special interest linked to it or something that goes through for it? 
no, this is the time to talk about it. This is the time to look at it. You know, if I think back to when we, you know, we were setting up Lost Stock at the start, mm-hmm. a lot of people said to us, you're selling people a mystery box of clothes. No one will buy that. And it's like, this because it hasn't happened before doesn't mean that it won't happen now. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, when we've been doing Unfolded, people have said, oh, like, oh, that's a really long time for delivery. And it's like, yeah, no, but like there's a new way of doing it. And if it has a bigger impact, everything mm-hmm. goes through from that. This is what we need to tackle. And I think, you know, across all sectors, I think if we are to, you know, if we are to kind of take any good out of the last 12 months, that's what should, we should be taking, which mm. is that actually says, do you know what? let's tackle some of these things we don't have to do it that way we can make it more efficient mm-hmm. you know what we can give people more flexibility to work from home you know spend more time with family all these same sorts of different things let's please 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 let's not slide back and just go back to doing the way things were before because that would that would waste anything that that we could possibly get out of this yeah. and i guess that's the silver lining to it lasting so long the 12 months made people realize they had to do something differently whereas if it had been three weeks like we all thought at the start then perhaps these changes wouldn't have come. We've got a couple of um, relatively young kids and I've read a few of these sort of child psychology articles about how long it takes to form a habit and how you break habits um, when your kids are doing stuff. But actually applying that to the you know the, the business, the work sector, actually, this has now gone on long enough that these these new habits have been yeah. have been formed. And so actually, we won't slide back. It, it will, people will have to actively slide back. Yeah. You know, so that, that I think hopefully some of this stuff will, will stick. You have been listening to Podcast by Brodies, where some of the country's leading lawyers and special guests share their enlightened thinking about the issues and developments impacting the legal sector and what those mean for organisations, businesses and individuals across the various sectors of the UK. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe to Podcast by Brodies on all the main platforms. For more information and insights, visit www.brodies.com.